says this. At the heart, we are all selfish, and selfishness is the single greatest enemy of hospitality. We do not want to be inconvenienced. We do not want to share our privacy or our time with others. We are consumed with our personal comforts. We want to be free to go about our business without interference or concern for other people's needs. We don't want the responsibility and work that hospitality entails. We are afraid that we will be used or that our property will sustain damage. All of these attitudes are selfish. And selfishness is a sin. Selfishness is a mark of the old, unregenerate life. It is a worldliness. It is it. It, can't, uh, it is contrary to hospitality. It is totally opposed to everything Jesus Christ taught and lived. And you might, as you read that or listen to that, like me when I first read that, just feel like, ouch. <laughs> that hits home, doesn't it? I'd, I mean, this is my personality. I would rather just be by myself. Me and my family, I'd rather just be by myself. Mind my own business, carry on. Do you ever, does your doorbell ever ring and you just, there's a shiver that just goes up your spine? <laughs> just a shiver. Oh, I, I can't bear. And if you're not that way, praise God that you were born with different stuff going on there. But for me, when that doorbell rings, it's, whoo, who could it be, right? Um, but here's the deal. The Christian life is not about me. Though we are saved as an individual, we are saved to a community, we are saved to a body of believers, and we're saved to do something in a community which we'll talk about at the end of our message today. But here's the deal. We are not called to do it alone. It is not the Christian life. And what we want primarily as the individual is not primary. Just like the example of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11, we must put the needs of others first. And Calvary Derby Hill, it's got to start with your church family, I believe. It's got to start with your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room and those that will join you eventually. Jonathan Lehman, who's a great author on church government and, and all these things, a great author, great, great uh, content that he puts out through Nine Marks Ministry, and he refers to local churches as embassies of the kingdom of God. And I love that imagery. We're a part of the global and eternal family of God. We're saved as individuals, but we're part of that global and eternal permanent family of God that we'll spend an eternity worshiping with always, but we're here on this earth subservient to the kingdom of God, waiting for our marching orders from our Savior to go out into the world, not as individuals primarily, but as embassies of the kingdom at this outpost in Loveland, Colorado. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And when you saw 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as it was being read so faithfully earlier, um, when do we mostly hear 1 Corinthians 13? Weddings. Weddings. And rightly so, rightly so. Great, great, great passage for weddings. But the original context actually wasn't purposed toward weddings specifically, right? I want you to look at this passage in a little bit of a different lens today. I want you, as you're reading through this passage, to let your community be at the forefront. How am I relating to other members? I want to say at Calvary Hill, Calvary Hill Baptist Church, Derby Hill Baptist Church. I want you to be able to think about those that are sitting in the seats around you. I want you to think about those that will eventually join the church. Put that lens on it as we evaluate what Paul says about love. This is the first point. The gifts that you've been given are not ends in and of themselves. They must be accompanied by a love 
for the members of Calvary Derby Hill. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. I'm going to say that first point again. The gifts that you've been given are not ends in themselves. They must be accompanied by a love for the members of Calvary Derby Hill. In the chapter right before this, Paul lists off gifts that are given to the church. Gifts that are given to the body of Christ to be used in the body of Christ for the edification of the body of Christ, for the growth, for the discipleship, um, for, for their well-being in the sight of Christ. He lists off these gifts, and then right after that, he comes in and he says, look, your gifts, they are not the point. If you have all the gifts in the world, if you're a believer, but you're not expressing this agape love that Paul talks about all through this chapter, not brotherly love so much, not erotic love, or even talking about primarily the love between a husband and a wife, but this love for one another in a similar way that God shows his love for us. If you've got all the gifts and the manifestation of that gifts as expressed in Scripture, but you are not loving your brother and sister, he says you're like, you and me are like noisy gongs, clanging cymbals. You're nothing, right? Have not love, I am nothing. He says, but towards the end there, at the end of verse 3, he kind of takes it up to another notch. Even if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. There's a book called Fox's Book of the Martyrs, and it lists off thousands and thousands of of men and women that have given their life for Christ. And uh, many of the stories are told from a tradition standpoint, and, and you have to look into the historical details of it. But at the very least, it shows you what many thousands of Christians went through and what Christians were going through even in the time of Christ and Rome. And these people in Corinth would have known very well what he's talking about. Many, many people in our history of the Christian faith have given their lives willingly for Christ because it was illegal to preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't face that kind of torment or that kind of pressure where we are, and we probably won't in the way that Paul would have seen it and what Paul eventually experienced with him being killed for his faith. But can you imagine some of them, maybe even listed in Fox's Book of the Martyrs, that gave their life for some other reason? That gave their life for some other reason. Maybe it was to be seen. Maybe it was the thought of being venerated as a martyr was all that they wanted. They go, whoa. I could be recorded in history. Or God will love me more if I give my life for the Christian faith. So I'm going to make this action as an entry point into heaven. There are other faiths that believe that. But Paul even says, hey, even if you give away all your possessions, or if you even give your life, your body up to be burned by those that hate Christ, but you have not this agape love, it's useless. It's a noisy gong. That's a powerful thing to say, Paul. Let's look in verse 4. You say, what is this agape love? How can it be defined? I think 1 Corinthians 13 does a good job. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I'm going to read that one more time, and I want you to think about the members of this church or the people that come every week, okay? And how you relate to them. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Here's the second point for our time today. Paul is not vague or mysterious in describing how the family of God is designed to interact with one another. I'm going to read that again. Paul is not vague or mysterious in describing how the family of God is designed to interact with one another. In other words, he's not saying something poetic here, primarily, right? He's not saying something to trick you or to get you to look into the deeper meaning. He's saying, this is what love looks like. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Do you know what kindness looks like? I think you do. Do you know what patience feels like when you're given patience? I think you do. Do you know what it's like for somebody to take what you've done wrong in the past, forgive you, and put it away, and not condemn you for your past sins? Not put you in the prison of what you've done in the past. This is how the people of God are to interact with one another. I used to work with teenagers primarily in a church in Texas, and I feel like teenagers could smell a phony from a mile away. False humility, false kindness, false charity, you name it, over and over again. Um, but you and I are there with them. We know what that looks like as well. But to connect authentically, we've got to look at this list, which reminds me of the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, of how we're to interact with one another. Here's the deal, friends. Even with people that you don't like in the church, even for that one guy that has terrible breath, <laughs> like, what, could we have some mints or something? I, ha I haven't experienced that at Derby Hill, so that's not a specific reference. Even for, uh, even for that lady that, that talks so much, right? Even for that person that has a different political opinion than me. And I saw what they posted on Facebook. Okay? And the list goes on and on, right? The list goes on and on. One of the most beautiful things about the family of God is its true diversity. Here's what I mean. is One of my best friends at my church at Calvary Inglewood um, is old enough to be my father. His name is Dave. And we go to Del Taco every Wednesday, and it's my, one of my favorite moments of the week. But what did he have to do in order to initiate that friendship? We work in the same building, and he walked by my office and said, hey, we didn't know each other, really. We'd met. But he said, hey, I go to Del Taco every Wednesday. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, yeah. And, <laughs> and we stood up, and we went. And truly, Dave Phillips is one of my best friends. But in culture, that doesn't make a ton of sense, right? Socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, where you're from, your history, your education, whatever family of God says, family. Family, you relate to one another. But here's, here's the truth in it is that none of that is easy and none of it can be done in your own power. The beautiful nature of this is that it's possible because of what Jesus Christ has done in you. 
He has changed you. He's rewired your brain, Romans 12, 1 and 2 talk about. He's rewiring your brains. He's changing you from the inside out. He's doing the changing so that you could go to somebody that would never in the history of your life been your friend, been your brother or sister in Christ, and you love them. They're not perfect. They might not have to be your best friend or something like that, but you genuinely love them. You would be so willing and ready to lay down your desires and pick up theirs. That's the family of God. Kindness is not hard to spot. These, these attributes are not hard to spot. I used to work at a funeral home in rural East Texas, and it was a very difficult job, and I respect those people in that field more than I can express. I mean, I am not built for that. I pray that God does not allow me to go back into that field, but I appreciate them. I truly value them. I, I, man, my respect level for them is amazing. Uh, many times I would be sitting as a new seminary student and a new um, funeral home worker, kind of, a, kind of a gopher, just kind of doing whatever they say next. And I heard dozens and dozens and dozens of sermons for people that were well-known in their church, like really well-known, truly, and people that maybe didn't attend church so much and they had to call in a pastor from the community. And, and some days we would have four funerals in a row and you would hear Psalm 23 preach four completely different ways that made you... Very curious as a seminary student and sometimes very troubled. But one thing that I heard, <laughs> one thing that I heard over and over and over again, I mean really, repeatedly, over the course of that semester when I worked for there, it was about as long as I could last in the job, um, I heard this phrase a lot. Well, and most of the time it was from a pastor that knew the, knew the person, but it wasn't a huge connected authentically thing going on there. He said, well... Janine was a cantankerous woman. <laughs> Later, I want you to Google the definition of cantankerous. <laughs> Suffice it to say, you don't want people saying that about you at your funeral. <laughs> you don't want it, <laughs> right? But it was many times at funerals, and you've been there before, where somebody, even though they did not follow Christ, even though they did not exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, even though they did not love the brothers and sisters, they're kind of preached into heaven or the pastor is attempting to do that. But I would hear these messages, and well, she used to yell at me every time I went to visit her in the nursing home. And <laughs> Listen, kindness is not hard to find. Kindness is not hard to spot. But here's the deal. Paul is not vague in this. If we want to know, how can I relate to the other people at Calvary Derby Hill, whether I met them today or I've known them for years, look at verses 4 through 7. Let's go to verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, or remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Here's the third point for our time today. Spiritual gifts will be of no use in the new heaven and new earth, but love will be fully known and experienced. I'm going to say that again. Spiritual gifts will be of no use in the new heaven and new earth. But love will be fully known and experienced. 
Again, with this context of chapter 12, listing off the gifts that are given to the church. If you're a believer, you've been given a gift or many gifts. And they are to be used primarily or firstly in the congregation, this local body that God has saved you to, to be used in that. But did you know that one day, uh, Pastor Dave and I will be out of a job? Amen. Praise God. Pastor Dave and I and the leaders here in this church will be out of a job because there will be no need for sermons. There will be no need for evangelism. There will be no need for home discipleship strategies. There will be no questions. <laughs> you will see. We see dimly now. We prophesy in part, even if you have the gift. But there will come a time when we will see the sermon in front of our face. It'll be like, oh, <laughs> that's what that means. Celeb celebration. No need for sermons because we're seeing it in the face of Jesus. And I think a big lesson to learn from this is sometimes people take the spiritual gifts and they elevate them to a place that they never should have been. They manipulate them, they abuse them, they claim to have some that they don't, and they make the spiritual gifts primary, but they're not an end in and of themselves. Like we said earlier, they have a purpose. And what is that purpose? We together, we've got to grow to know Jesus better. We have got to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. Even while we were singing, Be Thou My Vision, which Nathan did so well, even while we're singing, Be Thou My Vision, what that does for me is it reminds me of the heart connection that I'm to have to my loving Savior, heart of my own heart. The relationship that's possible with Jesus Christ, when we take our faith and individualize it too much, then we remain at home or we relegate ourselves to just watching the sermon online. Praise God for technology and some cannot come. We need to respect that. But when we have the ability to come and we say, no, I'm not going to come. I'm too tired. This week has been crazy. I really don't want to be sociable this week. When we do that, we are neglecting ourselves from a well of health from people that you never would have expected could have uplifted you that day with God's word. Even to just be simply reminded of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To be reminded that you can do nothing to earn God's favor. You need your brothers and sisters to say those words. You need your brothers and sisters to pray out loud with you. You need your shepherding pastor to read Psalm 3 over you, to remind you that whatever's coming at your door, God will deliver. When you isolate yourself and when you turn Christianity into just something that's a practice of spirituality that you go on your own because you've been hurt in the past, you are hurting yourself. We are not designed to go it alone. We are not designed to go it alone. Just like Pastor Dave said, one of the core tenets of every Calvary church is that people would um, uh, connect with one another authentically, but also we're to go and to show or go and to tell the gospel boldly. Here's the fourth point of today. Before we go and tell the gospel boldly, we must connect with one another authentically. This does not mean that you pause evangelism. I want you to look at the passage in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. Truly one of the most amazing group of verses in Scripture to me. You know, you get your favorite verses and ones that just like knock you back on your heels. This one's one of those for me. It's really cool. 
This is Jesus speaking, and in verse 20, he says this. In John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples in front of him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you and you, uh, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you are sent, that you sent me, and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Isn't it a cool thought to think that Jesus prayed for us? Literally. The ones that would uh, believe in his name because of what the disciples would then say. Isn't it amazing that over 2,000 years ago, the Messiah is here. His ministry happens, lives a perfect, sinless life in perfect obedience to his Father. Takes the death that we should have died, that we deserve to die because of our sins before a righteous God that created us. And over 2,000 years later, across an ocean, across cultures, across so many different uh, social situations and sociological circumstances and wars and deaths and martyrs and from the, a tiny village all the way to Loveland, Colorado in the middle of the Rocky Mountains that we would be talking about this today. But what does he say? He said in verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may believe in us, be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's unity, true unity in the faith for a purpose, with a result. I want to read the fourth point again. Before we go and tell the gospel boldly, we must connect with one another authentically. Here's what I mean by that. Imagine Calvary Derby Hill, totally disjointed. Imagine Calvary Derby Hill not getting along. Imagine Calvary Derby Hill just being generally annoyed and there's complaints and the color of the carpet or something. or we've, heard, we've been in those business meetings before, right? Imagine there not being purposeful, authentic relationships being formed. And we then attempt, though we are not unified as a church, to go out into this community that's about to be built literally on your doorstep. Even though we don't like each other, man, I want to tell you about the love of Jesus. But you know that happens all the time. That happens all the time. I can tell you that one of the biggest billboards to Loveland, Colorado, that you can have about the authentic, uh, the authenticity of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is that you all would be unified. Is that we would be unified. I say the same thing about my church, Calvary Inglewood. It's a large church. It's hard to connect for me sometimes. But just in the fact that when we are unified and then we go out, when we are unified and we purposefully do so, we sacrifice to do so, to live out with the power of the Holy Spirit, what 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, when we do that, I believe that the apartment complex that's going to be built, 
the homes that are going to be built, and the surrounding area that gr that's growing at a breakneck speed, I believe they won't be able to ignore the fact that you are together. I don't think they'll be able to ignore it. Because I want to tell you something that is not going to be rocket science to you, I know. But people are thirsty for community. Thirsty for community. Even though we want to be private, even though we don't want people to really know everything about et cetera, et cetera, don't you want friends? Don't you want real friends that aren't just a passing and a going? Somebody that really knows you. Some of you have experienced that through DNA groups where you're with just a few people and you are sharing the word and you're sharing meals and you're knowing each other, praying for one another, sharing the struggles of how hard it is or how hard it feels to grow sometimes, but you're known. You're safe with an imperfect group of people. Some of you have experienced this in community groups through Derby Hill. Trust me. My selfishness, my laziness, my indifference many times wants me to stay away from anything like that at my own church. I will go next time. Or I'll create excuses. Well, they don't have them frequently enough. Oh, they don't, the study that they're going through is boring. I can tell you in my former church, I fought tooth and nail. It didn't look like that, but inside I knew how hard I was fighting even as a staff member of the church, to please don't make me go to life group. That's what we called it at our church. I don't want to do that. As a, as a staff member at a church, you feel like you're on. You feel like you got to have a smile on all the time. You feel like you got to fake it. Hey, brother. You know, like, how's it going? Don't care. See you later. You know, right? You're going to say something. I'm not listening. Hey, you know. Just exhausting, right? Just exhausting. And I thought, please don't, like... Kristen came to me, my wife came to me, and she said, oh, Brother Stephen's starting a, a small, a life group. I think we should go. Here's, here's, it was in the same building of the, it was in the church building. My office was right here. Life group was right here. Free food, free child care, people my age. I had no excuses. But man, I did not want to go. But I can tell you that those people to this day, we miss them so much. They are our brothers and sisters. We love them in a way that we can't describe. We love them. And there were times that we disagreed. There were times I had to repent. There were times I had to be known more than I wanted to be known. There were tears. There was laughter. There was food. There were stories. There were connections, authentic ones, that will remain, in my opinion, for the rest of our lives. Listen, we're not selling you anything. We're not pitching anything to you. It will be difficult Nobody else is going to do it for you. It, it's on you. It's on me as a church member at Calvary Inglewood to step out and go to the Bible study, to step out and go to the men's breakfast, whatever it is, even though you don't want to. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be perfect, and you will be hurt. Something that we want to end with, right? You will be hurt. Why? Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul says in Romans 7, why do I do the things I, I, I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do? Who will save me from this body of death? We've sinned this morning in some way, I'm sure, right? Intentionally, unintentionally, we're dealing with people. We're not dealing with Jesus himself. But the beautiful nature of this is that Jesus commits to not stop working on us.
And even though you will be hurt, even though it won't be perfect, even though they won't like all the same things that you like, even though they might root for the CU buffs and you hate that. <laughs> oh, that was just me. That was just a Freudian slip. <laughs> even, though they, even though they're so different from you and they don't want anything to do with what you like to do, you must step out and say, I'm willing to sacrifice my safety to be known authentically. It might take years. It's going to be difficult, but I cannot tell you the joy that comes from authentic Christian relationships. And you've experienced it, many of you. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced in any other chapter of my life. We must, before we go and tell the gospel boldly, we must connect with one another authentically. Finally, this. At the beginning of the message, I said, the Christian faith, man, you are saved as an individual, and you might be in the room, and you might be hearing this conversation because this message was written to a local body, to the church at Corinth from Pastor Paul. This, this, this message is written to believers, but you might be in the room today, and you might know in your heart, I really don't know Jesus. I, I really, this is, this is kind of weird. I don't really want to know. I mean, like, I don't want to jump at, what is this? Why, why are we talking about community like this? What are we... I want to invite you to know the God that created you. Yes, Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin, is, or that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The God that created you designed you to be in a relationship with him. He showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died in my place so that I could accept the free gift of salvation, believe in him in faith and be changed and be welcomed into this family, global and eternal and local that we've been talking about today. If you do not know Jesus, I pray that today would be the day that that happens. I pray that today would be the day that you say, you know what, Jesus, I believe you really did come. I believe you really did die. And I believe you really did rise again. Will you be the Lord of my life? Will you take over my life? I believe in you. And then be welcomed into the family of God. If you've never met Jesus, I want to extend that invitation to you. Would you pray with me? Here's, here's what I just want you to think through and, and pray for. Would you pray that God would expose to you, if, you, if not already clear to you, the gift or gifts that he's given to you to be used in the church? Would you ask him to make it really clear? God, what gifts have you given me to use in the church? And it might be something where later today you go to 1 Corinthians 12 and you look at that. You can go to Romans 12 as well. Pray through those passages with, your, with, your, with Dave right here to guide you through that as well. Now, I want you to think about the time when you were hurt in church. And there might be too many times to list. But I just want you to picture those times when you were hurt in church. And if there's anybody that you've not forgiven... They might not even be alive anymore. But if there's anybody that you've not forgiven that hurts you in a church, by the power 
of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, not in your own strength, would you, would you forgive them? Would you, would you release them?